Hello, welcome to series two of Shooting Azimuths, a podcast chiefly devised to allow me to chat to the people I admire the most in education. This series features the speakers who will be addressing the Embley Education Conference that takes place on the 14th of April. To find out more about the conference and to book your place, please visit www.embley.org.uk forward slash conference. In today's episode, I chat to Peps McRae, an award-winning teacher, writer and educator. Okay, welcome to Shooting Azimuth, uh, Pep. Lovely to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Jose. Wonderful to be here. Um, so I trained as a teacher originally down in Brighton, mm-hmm. south of London, for, and then taught for about seven years, taught secondary maths. After that, I went and joined the local university to basically train teachers. I ran the PGC course there for okay. about another seven years. And then the last five years or so, I've been working for an organization called Ambition Institute, which okay. is a large professional development provider for teachers and leaders. And during that time, uh, I've basically had the uh, the pleasure of thinking really hard about um, what teachers need to know in order to help them practice effectively and help their pupils to learn lots. Okay, fantastic. And what have you found are the most challenging aspects of uh, teaching teachers? Right, okay, so yeah, <laughs> big question there. Um, <laughs> I think it's like, it's it's a, a generally hard thing to do, uh, first of all. Um, or teaching generally or teaching teachers? So it's teaching teachers because teaching mm. is so hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, teaching is... Is often perceived by the wider public to kind of be a relatively straightforward thing to do because yeah. when you're a pupil and everyone's been a pupil, everyone's been on the other side of the classroom, um, it, it it's almost made to look easy, <laughs> but it's it, it really isn't because the the kind of what teachers are trying to do, um, which is essentially change the minds of you know 20 or 30 students at once yeah. um, based on stuff that is not necessarily all that highly relevant to those students in that moment um, yeah it really is a hugely complex task like compared to something like brain surgery where you know you're only working on one person at a time yeah. um, they, 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 they can't choose to opt out of the, of the experience um, and you can you know you can see what you're doing and you have a team to support you so you know from my perspective teaching is orders of magnitude harder than brain surgery and okay. as a result then you know trying to help teachers get better is like a, another kind of factor removed from that process and so at least as hard as teaching and what what are the major pitfalls that teachers face i think because one of one of the pitfalls you've already alluded to which is thinking how hard could this be uh, the answer is really hard, but, but is there anything else that teachers, when they come to you, for example, when you were doing PGC training or, or when you're trying to uh, teach teachers at the moment, what, what are the major stumbling blocks they face? Yeah, so so one of the, there's a few, like one of the main things is that some aspects of teaching aren't all that intuitive. You can't just figure out easily from trial and error. So, you know, retrieval practice is a good example of this. Uh, you know, I, I know many teachers, and I'd include myself in this, who practiced for years without 
really grasping the fact that it was hugely important to you know, in, induce retrieval rather than just re-exposing students to to ideas and to you know distribute that retrieval experience over set amounts of time um, like the, the importance of delaying feedback is it like another example there are just certain aspects of teaching which are hard to kind of come to understand via trial and error which means that uh, it's hard to become really good at teaching without leaning on aspects of research that can be done can be conducted in more controlled conditions that allow uh, teachers to have like a more accurate insight into how learning happens so that's kind of one challenge a, a second challenge is that the complexity of teaching means that a large part of the work of teaching must be done automatically kind of like on autopilot because there's just so much happening it's, it's really impossible for a teacher to consciously think through all of the decisions they face like a large part of it just has to run essentially on habit yeah. however what we know about habit is that it's kind of a double-edged sword although it helps teachers to be able to function in the classroom it also uh, is resistant to change you know you know as well as anyone else who's a human that um you know bad habits or habits in general are are you know, difficult to change um bad or good and the same is true in the classroom. It, they say practice it, doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's great, you know, a, 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 you know, a great quote from, from Doug Lamov there um, that really kind of epitomizes this idea that uh, habits are, are, are cha challenging from certain angles. And because teaching is, is in many ways such a repetitive task, you know, you can end up doing the same things, getting pupils in, explaining stuff, getting to practice. Uh, time and time again, you can build up habits quite quickly. And if those habits aren't the most effective ones, then it can be hard to to change them. And that um, becomes that challenge becomes even more difficult the more experienced the teacher you are. So this kind of like strange paradox between like experience and um, capacity to kind of improve further. It, well, what I often find with experienced teachers is that they, they often say things like, well, what you just described about distributed practice or retrieval practice that's that's just what good teachers do that's just obvious but then but then i think well you've been teaching for 30 years so why wait 30 years to to, to have this become obvious why don't you have it become obvious sooner right um, i suppose that's the point right you yeah, know if, if they were introduced to those ideas uh like in their first you know few months rather than having to discover them imagine what they could have figured out in the next 30 years. So <laughs> this is really exactly. what, you know, what, what, what we want to be trying to do is to uh, really accelerate the, the rate of development. Um, and the, the kind of final point you asked about, like the challenges that teachers face in improving, the kind of final point is one of cognitive load, which is related to the things we've discussed. So teaching is really complex. There's a lot of stuff going on at any given time in the classroom, a lot of things for teachers to think about. As a result, they, they kind of automate a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, but the, the kind of the key, the, the reason they do that is because if you can automate sufficient things, you have a little bit of attention left to basically a like monitor the classroom and respond to events as they unfold, which is, you know, is probably at the heart of effective teaching, this idea of responsive teaching, but B, that little capacity to, to kind of monitor your own performance and taking intentional steps to improve it, that is like 
absolutely essential to to change. If you don't have a little bit of spare cognitive capacity, then it's really, really hard to enact a change in your classroom that actually sticks. Um, you might just try like something out once, um, but that's not going to really lead to like a permanent change of practice. So all like all of these things, kind of habits, cognitive load, um, uh, like complexity of teaching come together to make it more a harder thing to do. Uh, make teaching a harder thing to get better at than is commonly assumed, I'd say. Yeah, so if anyone's still thinking, how hard could this be? The answer is really hard. Really hard, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. I mean, you first came into my consciousness, uh, Peps, when when um, I think it was some time ago now when you wrote a lean lesson planning. Um, so um, I think the, the tagline for that was a practical guide to doing less and achieving more in the classroom. So with that in mind, Peps, and, and I know there will be lots of teachers uh, listening to this, what approaches, what advice do you have for teachers when it comes to lesson planning and delivery? Yeah, so because teaching is such a complex task, there are many ways that it can essentially go wrong. <laughs> um, there are many ways that can go wrong that aren't, again, always obvious. Um, and because of the kind of demanding, the, the nature of learning and expertise means that essentially expertise in teaching is a function of efficiency, of how, you know, when you boil it down, how much you can help your pupils to learn in a given amount of time. Yeah. And so the kind of underpinning concept under lean lesson planning is that is one that's kind of borrowed from the world of manufacturing where they like this idea of efficiency is uh, is, is much easier to see and has been part of like the the, the, the professionalization of that sector for for many, many decades, um, which essentially says that where possible, we should eliminate waste because that's the quickest way for us to, to make efficiency gains. Um, and so some examples of kind of strategies that teachers can take to achieve that are um, what's called what would be called backwards planning or reverse design, where teachers uh, start with the end goal of a lesson in mind and plan the activities that they're going to um, put in place to meet those end goals rather than um, which is you know has sometimes happened in the past starting with a you know what's the best activity I can bring to the lesson today um, and so the difference between those two approaches adds up to quite a lot over time and then even when you're thinking about the specific activities Doug Lamov has a lovely phrase um, called taking, taking the shortest path. And so where we have the option between like having a, an activity which is itself highly complex with lots of bells and whistles, yeah. actually there is a lot of scope for students to end up paying attention to and thinking about superfluous aspects of that activity. Yeah. And so where we have the opportunity to take the shortest path and choose an activity which is as which helps pupils get from A to B as directly and simply as possible. We're, you know, increasing A, the likelihood that that, that happens and B, the efficiency of that happening. And again, over time, those kind of efficiency gains can make quite a big deal when it comes to, you know, helping pupils to learn and as a result, expertise in teaching. So a kind of pedagogical outcomes razor. What, what is the simplest, what is the simplest way to approach this problem? And, and then they just go, in that direction. Um, I'm with you. Fantastic. Thank you. Now, you just mentioned expert teaching, which is uh, developing expert teaching is, is the title of your, of your latest book. 
Um, so over the years, I mean, how long is it between the two books, uh, Peps? Is it um, it's about five, uh, more than five years, isn't it? Uh-huh, so 10, yeah. 10 years, wow. Yeah, Typically yeah. takes me about Time three, well. three, yeah. three and a half years to, so to write So in, in between writing those two books, what 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 have you learned? In between, <laughs> well, there were two books in between those two. Those oh, yeah, books. yeah, I know, I know. There's like memorable teaching and motivated yeah. teaching, which, you know, are significant. We'll come back to memory and, and learning and, and all of that in a second. But 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 in between in that time in those ten years, what have what have you learned? Yeah, that's a, a really interesting question. What what's kind of how's my thinking moved on during that time? Yeah. Um, and I think one of the kind of big influences on my thinking over the last decade or so has been the work of Anders Ericsson and colleagues. Okay. So. Anders Ericsson like, has kind of developed this, you know, he wouldn't call it a theory, but it's essentially a theory of expertise. Um, and it is a theory, it's a really useful like framework or lens that we can use to think about helping teachers to improve because it like leans really hard on the learning sciences, it leans really hard on cognitive science and behavioral science and packages all those together into like a robust theory that has been empirically validated over like many, many years. You know, there are some criticisms about like some of the aspects of his theory, but by and large, it's probably the the most well-supported, clear explanation of how we can help teachers to get better out there. Um, okay. And that is a like a significant um, departure from many schools of thought around professional development, which have thought more about professional development as basically a grab bag of different activities. So you know, we need to make sure that professional development is you know collaborative and sustained and mm-hmm. you know content focused. Like Erickson's expertise theory basically like blows all that out of the water and provides a much more coherent explanation for how we can help teachers to get better. Uh, and so I think like um, over the you know there's just a real opportunity there for us as a profession to kind of like pay a lot of attention to that theory try to unpack how it works and use it to drive kind of greater improvement and one of like the the kind of big ideas basically that that comes out of that theory is that expertise is really the result of the amount of actionable knowledge that teachers have so it's uh, you know it's not about not really about talent it's not about uh, standing in a community. It's not about you know, the title you have, uh, the qualifications you have, or your reputation within a community. It's really about the amount, the amount and organisation of the knowledge, the knowledge you have about the t- the problems that you face in your daily work. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, the more you know, the better decisions you can make. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, the the, the type of knowledge is pretty. Um, it's not just a whole bunch of facts. There's quite a lot of complexity around like the the kinds of knowledge that teachers must possess in order to be expert um, and then you know there's some really interesting insights around what actually happens whenever teachers possess that kind of knowledge you know they, they develop these kind of superpowers being able to you know see see out of the back of their head metaphorically yeah. I'm quite, I'm really enjoying this of teaching being more complex than brain surgery and now we're superheroes as well so that's fantastic <laughs> that's really good and now peps we're going to stop here for a little break sure catch up with you in a second hello everyone 
I'm Cliff Canning, Headmaster at Embley, a wonderful school in stunning grounds near Romsey in Hampshire. On the 14th of April, we'll be hosting our annual education conference. I'm very excited to share with you the wealth of knowledge and expertise that our speakers have to offer. The theme of the conference is leadership at every level. And let me tell you, it's not just a catchy slogan, it's a call to action. Leadership is essential in every aspect of our lives, whether it's the classroom, the boardroom or the sports field. And that's why we've brought together some of the most accomplished leaders in the field to share their stories and insights. But don't take my word for it. Have a listen to our podcast and hear for yourself the valuable insights and advice they have to offer. And once you have a sense of that, head across to our website at www.embley.org.uk forward slash conference and book your place. I look forward to seeing you. Welcome back. Now, Peps, a big aspect of your work is the study of how learning works and and how memory uh, is involved in the process of learning. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So memory has, in my experience, had a bit of a bad reputation in education. Uh, I think it kind of got tarred with notions of memorization. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, because it, I think it's actually a really helpful lens with which to look at learning and to help teachers understand kind of what's going on under the hood of their lessons. Because when you take this kind of memory lens to the classroom, what, what it does firstly is it, it provides you with a, a model you can hold in your head about how learning works, nice and like a simple one that you can gradually flesh out and make more complex. But it also gives you access to this wealth of literature, <laughs> like you know, really high quality evidence, fairly high quality evidence um, about how learning works, which you know we know as the field of cognitive science, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, a quick caveat is that looking at learning through this lens of of memory and using cognitive science is really only kind of like one one angle on on the uh, the, the the situation, or one angle on learning. Um, Cognitive science and memory doesn't do a great job of like helping us understand the emotional, motivational, cultural, social aspects of learning. All right. So just important to kind of lay that out to begin with. Um, but it does get us like a good part of the way um, towards understanding how learning works um, because it helps us understand the kind of main mechanisms that are in operation whenever our students are learning, namely working memory and long-term memory and the features of each of those you know namely that working memory is has got a like distinctly limited capacity and that comes with significant implications for teaching but that long-term memory doesn't have the same kind of limitations and that it can kind of act as the the bridge or the the way that we can overcome some of the limitations of working memory and so i think like some of those are really nice ways into some of the kind of the hidden mechanics of learning that um, have very concrete applications for the classroom. Uh, so perhaps what, what are these implications uh, for the classroom? How, how, can, how can teachers then maximise learning? You talked about efficiency earlier. So what are the most efficient ways to maximise learning? Yeah, so if we like think about some of the features of memory, you know, we've said that w- working memory is has significantly limited capacity. We can really only focus on a very few number of things at once. What that one of the implications is that 
in the classroom it, where possible if we can remove the number of potential options of things that pupils can attend to we're, we're going to increase the chances that they attend to this the stuff that we want them to learn the kind of substance the content of our lesson and so removing distractions is a becomes quite a significant strategy and so you know distractions can be embodied in a number of different ways in the classroom it, it can be you know people coming to the door <laughs> it can be you know in in the slideshow or materials you use or the activities you use like we talked about earlier or it can even be you know embodied in yourself as a teacher i know when i was teaching i used to like set my students off on a practice task and then walk around narrating <laughs> which would be a complete distraction, distraction. Yeah. yeah it's crazy and um you know these distractions um are can be quite pernicious because when somebody comes to the door the the kind of amount of time amount of distraction that that is created isn't just the amount of time that the student comes to the door because when a student comes to the door everyone kind of switches their attention from what they're thinking about to that that student in that moment they might start thinking about something else and then it might take them um, like a little bit of time to like get up to speed with the original thing again so uh, you know I talk about distractions leaving awake and so like one distraction can actually have like a quite a significant impact on the amount of lost learning time within a lesson and when you add up all the potential distractions that there that can be uh, you know it's it, it's, it's a, it can be pretty depressing again it comes back to this idea of kind of lean lean teaching as it were trying to eliminate the amount of waste that we have so that we can like, spend as much time getting pupils to think about the things we want them to think about yeah because and of course in order in order to be able to think about things you've got to know about those things and that's why that's why it's important to learn things you know if you say by rote you might trigger some reactions from from folks because they very often I'll have a parent that says to me, I, want, I don't want my child to learn some f facts by rote. I want them to be able to uh, think critically or write critically about something. And I said, well, in order to write critically about something, you must first know about that thing. So you then you want them to learn stuff. So therefore they have to learn some facts. So when presented to them in that from that perspective, they understand. Um, but they, I often find a, a sort of like a visceral um rejection of many not, not just this rote learning but you know the lack of the, the the maximizing the classroom time the efficiency i've i've come across lots of people who who criticize all this as being rather victorian or rather the industrial um approach to education what do you feel about when people come to you with those criticisms yeah i think like it, it's it gives me I, I i think hard about them mm -hmm. <laughs> um uh, i'm a parent myself my my children are at school and i you know care about the experience they have in school as well as the outcomes they have but i think the i think you can uh, like have the best of both worlds have all your cake and eat it it is possible to have uh, an experience in school that is one of efficiency in learning where you know my, my my kids are going to school and they're learning lots but also at the same time it being an incredibly enjoyable experience i don't think those two things are incompatible at all um and in fact there's probably a little bit of synergy between them because the 
you know, one of the the kind of lessons that emerges from evidence, the research is that mastery of topics can be a, a, a very enjoyable experience in itself mm-hmm. um, and can, you know, in- increase your level of interest and curiosity um, and just, yes, yeah, sense of enjoyment of a topic. And so the more efficient we can be, the more we can help our pupils to feel success the more they're likely to enjoy their education. Fantastic. Uh, thank you. I'll go, we're going to wrap up the podcast now. So I'm going to ask you one last question. With, with, your, with your experience as, a, as, a, as an educator and a, and a, and a, and a teacher of teachers, uh, as it were, um, what, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing teachers and schools um, today? And, and perhaps if I could tempt you to try and address them what, what, what do you think the solutions to those challenges would be <laughs> wow yeah so w- one of the uh, and this is a, a quite a long-term answer here okay so one, one of the kind of big challenges facing our profession is that for a l- long time we haven't had like a coherent set of infrastructure or body of knowledge to kind of guide the, the, the training of teachers. Um, like I said earlier, you know, teaching is really complex. It's very hard to, to train teachers. If you just leave it to like kind of the whims of the individuals who are training teachers, then you're not going to end up with like a you know the, the most eff- effective outcomes. And so I've actually been really heartened by some of the reforms in education over the last five years or so. For example, the you know the early career framework and the NPQs have been efforts to try to um, bring teaching one step closer to medicine, um, um, which you know based on my comparison between brain surgery and teaching earlier, I think is absolutely needed. Yeah, absolutely needed. Um, you know, we're 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 certainly there's a lot of kinks to be ironed out. <laughs> I'm not at all saying that it's it's been a per- perfect set of reforms, but I think it's definitely uh, the kind of direction we want to take. And if we can continue, if we can continue to invest in the, the, the kind of training of teachers at every level of their career and figure out some of the implementation kinks and uh, help to go deeper at a, on a domain specific level. So, you know, think even more about what effective professional development looks like for a early years teacher compared to a secondary maths teacher, then I think we'll begin to see lots of good things emerge. You know, teachers will have more mastery over their their role, and as a result, you know, feel more satisfied, more confident. But teachers, the profession at large, a bit like happens in medicine, will. I anticipate inspire greater confidence in in society of, of their role, and as a result, have a, like a slightly higher status, perhaps get you know um, a greater mandate for more pay uh, yeah. and autonomy and, and all of those kinds of things. But I think all of this starts with an increased level of technical specialism, as it were, and that Absolutely. must come from uh, you know um, really hard thinking about the training that teachers receive. Fantastic, Babs. Thank you so much. We look forward to welcoming you to Wembley on the 14th of April. And uh, thank you for your time today. It's been fantastic to have you. Thank you, Jose. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Shooting Azimuths. 
please don't forget to check the Embley Education Conference website www.embley.org.uk forward slash conference and subscribe to this podcast to be notified when the next podcast episode is available. Goodbye for now.